Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. My name is Davey. I'm your host and joining me, Mel, our co-host. Mel, this is the fifth and last installment of our sexual betrayal series. It's been such a good series. It has I been have such a great series. cried. I've learned so much through the series. Yeah. And just like all the other episodes, we are bringing one of our resident counselors, Julie Dodson, back on at the end of this interview for her to provide a little bit of commentary from, uh, from the place of an expert licensed counselor. And it's really, really good commentary. I hope you've been enjoying it over the past several episodes. And uh, you're going to want to make sure that you stick around after this interview to hear from Julie. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the, the importance Mel, of doing the hard work in healing. Because I feel mm. like with all of these interviews, we've seen them really put in some hard work. And I think sometimes we live under the auspice that healing should just be quick and easy. Like it's a magic pill, you know, and there's just one step to it. Maybe we confess. And so now, we, now all of a sudden we're healed. But as right. we've learned, confession is just the first step to healing. Recognition is just one step to healing. Acknowledgement, you know, just and, 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 and acceptance, it's just one step to it. But there are so many steps, it's really important to put in the hard work. Yeah. And I think specifically with this series is um, so much trust has to be rebuilt. And mm. trust, as we know, does not, you can't force that and you can't manipulate right. it and you can't just make it happen overnight. And so uh, I'm, we're seeing with these um, interviewees that it's taking years to get yeah. where they are, where they, and they still feel like they're in the thick of it, that there's, yeah. yeah. Well, and trust is such a dicey thing. I remember my mom used to say that it takes, you know, years to build trust or it takes a long time to build trust and it takes a moment to break trust. Mm -hmm. And so imagine how much more time it takes to rebuild trust after it's been broken and, um, and I, I think this, this just highlights one of the aspects of, of healing, particularly in the context of betrayal, that, that it requires hard work. It requires a lot of hard work and um, a lot of long suffering in the process yeah. of doing that, but really any type of healing. And that, again, that's why I love these stories because they're providing so much hope for me, for everybody else who's listening, who are in situations like this of going, okay, there is hope. On the other side of this, we can flourish if we walk through the healing process well. So. Mm. Well, I love that. Well, we have such a good interview for you guys today. But before we jump into that, I want to share a review that somebody wrote on iTunes. If you get a chance, uh, hop onto iTunes, uh, rate us, review us, uh, leave us a review. Um, but this is from someone uh, who said, I found this podcast in November 2017, only a month after my husband unexpectedly went to heaven at the age of 34. Mm. I was grasping for wisdom and encouragement to do life and keep going. The Lord kept whispering to me that other warriors had gone before me and the Nothing is Wasted podcast is one of those places I found testimonies from those warriors. Here we are almost two years later, and this podcast is still one of my favorites. It gives me strength on the hardest days. Wow. Wow. Man, uh, whoever this was that wrote that in, thank you so much. And um, we're so sorry for your loss. And yeah. um, But man, I'm, I'm encouraged that uh, God and his providence allowed us to, to intersect your loss and bring hope into your headphones. 
And so it, it, um, we don't take that lightly. We don't take that for granted. So thank you. So go ahead and hit pause right now, right where you're at. Hit pause, rate and review this, screenshot it, share it to Instagram, tag nothing as wasted ministries. We'd love to see it. We'd love to, uh, share that as well with other people. And, um, and it, as you're listening to this, go ahead and do a screenshot and share that with us as well. We want to be able to just kind of forward on the different insights that you're gleaning from this. It's super encouraging to us. And um, then you can hit play again on this interview with Kristen and Michael Carey. Michael, Kristen, great to have you guys on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you, Davey. It's good to be here. Well, a mutual friend of ours connected us, and um, I'm so thrilled to hear about, I've heard just a little bit about what you guys do and your story behind that and the the redemption process that God has brought you through, but uh, I haven't heard a lot. So I'm excited about getting to hear this almost on a firsthand account, just with the same, at the same time as our listeners. And so if you're listening right now, this is going to be fun for us to do together as I'm asking them questions. But why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves, kind of give us an overview of, of your life right now. So uh, seven years ago, God uh, called me into full-time ministry. I, I was working in the IT uh, computer industry for 16 years. And um, yeah, if you, would ask, if, if you would have asked me when I started that career, uh, uh, would I have any vision of being in ministry or doing what I'm doing now? I would have said, no way. Absolutely <laughs> no. Um, so uh, seven years ago, uh, we started a ministry uh, for sexual purity. So sexual mm. purity restoration and education. Uh, we minister to teens, college students, and adults. Um, at the teen level, it's mostly you know educating parents and and uh, planting seeds for teenagers that are struggling with pornography and so on, uh, both girls and boys. And then um, at the college level, uh, we really have a heart for helping college students get to a place where uh, they are asking for help uh, those who struggle with sexual purity and. The adult ministry, um, we, we have uh, pastors and counselors referring people to us uh, all the time who, who need help, uh, people that are you know, struggling in their marriage, men who are having an affair, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, with the adults, it's usually some kind of horrible catastrophe that's happened by the time they get right. to us for help. So Wow. Well, so it, a remarkable work. It's a very difficult work, I know, a heavy work because you're entering into spaces of pain with people that is some of the hardest of pain. Mm. You know, this this idea of betrayal and some severing of relationships and trust and addiction and all of these things mm. that are woven into each other. Um, you didn't just stumble into this ministry. You, you guys have a pretty powerful story yourselves in how you came about um, the desire to start this ministry. Why don't you take me back and share with me, each one of you guys individually, what what brought you to this point? Mm-hmm. So when I was about 11 years old, my older cousin took me and his younger brother into his dad's room, and he had he he had discovered his his dad's um, magazines. Back then, it was magazines that we mm-hmm. looked at, yeah, uh, Playboy and so on. So he showed us this, he shared this with us, and uh, I remember seeing a picture of a naked woman for the first time. There's um, people that I talk to, you know, there's always two reactions. One is excitement, adrenaline, it's um, uh, hard to look away, 
and the other reaction is shame. Uh, mm. I was ashamed. I knew that I shouldn't be looking at this. So I kept it a secret. Uh, I didn't tell anyone about it, uh, but because I, I mean, I did like it. So um, I, I went uh, back home and I sought this out. I was really uh, interested in seeing more and more of this. Uh, when I was 13, the kids that I hung around with teased anyone in our circle who was a virgin. Mm. Um, looking back, I'm pretty sure they were as well. But um, yeah. now, you know, now looking back. But anyway, mm. I lied and I said, no, I've had sex before. Uh, at 13 years old, I was uh, shy and insecure and um, really just wanting to fit in. Mm. So, uh, but that, that took me from uh, just looking at pornography to seeking out the real thing. Yeah. So when I was 16 years old, I had sex for the first time uh, with a girl that I wasn't even dating. And then again at 17, again at 18. And when I was 19 years old, I grew my hair really long and I moved to Los Angeles and mm. I played drums in a metal band. Okay. So yeah, in uh, California, we were playing shows on the Sunset Strip and uh, in LA and it was, we had this saying called sex, drugs and rock and roll. Yeah. And it was pretty much that. Uh, the way that we lived our lives, whatever you could imagine happened, happened. And I, um, uh, I felt at the time it, 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 I felt free. I felt, I thought that this was freedom. I thought mm. that I was living the life. I was uh, doing whatever I wanted. You know, I was living life on my terms. Uh, when I was 25 years old, however, God got a hold of me. Mm. Uh, I saw an evangelist preaching and he was talking about Romans and how we've all fallen short of the glory of God. You know, all of us have sinned. And it was one of those deals in the audience where I felt like I was the only one there, that he was just speaking to me and me only. Uh, it was a really emotional experience. Uh, I, he called anyone who wanted to receive Christ forward and I went forward. And uh, it, was, it was really an amazing experience. I remember... Um, really feeling like this is the real deal. I, I have the, the spirit of the living God mm. living inside of me. Wow. And, and I thought, well, Jesus is going to take away this, this problem with, with sexuality. Of course, it wasn't really a problem before I was a Christian, you know, mm. but now... Yeah, it was normal then, yeah. It was pretty normal, yeah. So as a Christian, um, I stopped uh, for about three or four months and mm. then uh, started in again with first with masturbation, then starting back into looking at porn. And uh, so as a Christian, I was terrified. Uh, and just like my old patterns, I, I uh, kept it a secret, mm. didn't tell anybody about it. I was, I was afraid to tell my pastor, afraid of what, what he would think, what he would say and so on. So uh, I didn't ask for help and I just kept trying to stop on my own. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I remember reading scripture where uh, Jesus said, anyone who even looks uh, at a woman with mm. lust has already committed adultery in his heart. So I knew that um, God wanted me to stop. Uh, but uh, at this stage in my life, I just felt like I couldn't. Mm. It, it was like an insatiable um, desire, like, like this, uh, this itch. Every time I scratched it, it just kept coming mm. back again and again and again. Uh, scripture that, that I heard and read, like uh, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And, and I questioned my, I started questioning my salvation and uh, wondering like, how, why is it that um, mm. I feel like I'm a different person, but when it comes to this issue, um, 
I, uh, I, I'm still the old person, yeah. you know? Right. So it was confusing, um, even though it was true, um, the, the scripture was true, of course, but uh, it, it, scripture really just confused me mm. like this. And, and um, it actually, um, uh, in many ways, uh, made me feel worse because I, I um, just couldn't stop. And I felt like, well, I should be able to just stop now. So along this time, uh, I was dating and um, got engaged. And I thought, okay, this is going to cure the problem. Mm. Uh, when, I, when I get married, I'll be able to have sex anytime that I want, right? <laughs> Which is what mm-hmm. many Christian right. uh, young men believe. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, was our, that was our rhetoric in college. Mm-hmm. It was like, man, this is going to be so much easier of a battle right. mm-hmm. when we're married because we're going to be able to anytime we want to. Like, right. I don't think that's, yeah. When you're married, you realize that's not that's not how it works. Is that the way your marriage works, Davey? Yeah. You know? No. Um, a couple of key words in that statement was, I will be able to have sex anytime I want. Wow, that's of good. Of course. Um, mm-hmm. So it's all about me, you know? Right. And, right. and uh, you know, a marital, marital sex shouldn't be just all about me. Right. Wow. So I got married. And I am going to share a little bit of my yes. story, uh, which is very different from Michael in terms of background. I met Jesus my freshman year at Indiana University through getting involved with the campus ministry and my life completely changed. I was on fire and I quit my partying that I had started doing at the beginning of my freshman year after I met Jesus and really dedicated my life to ministry, felt a call into full-time ministry and was leading people to Christ in my sorority and in my Uh, university. And I just felt this passion for God and him calling me to serve. So I spent about 10 years on the mission field between Costa Rica and New Mexico, working with college students. And I loved it. It was my life's calling. I always longed and desired to get married. And a lot of my friends were getting married before me. I still held out hope. God has a great plan for me in this area of my life. I, I had stayed a virgin. And when I met this young man who was a worship leader in our local ministry and we started dating and he was a virgin too, and we fell in love. And over time, he asked me to marry him. I was thrilled. It was Mm. like my dreams were all coming true. Yeah. But about a month into our engagement, my fiance at the time told me that he had a struggle with pornography. Now this was before high speed internet. So this was in a time where I was shocked. I didn't even know that that was really a thing, Um, especially not for a Christian man. I was extremely naive Mm -hmm. and I was horrified Mm -hmm. and I came very close to breaking off the engagement. But my spiritual leaders who were doing our premarital counseling encouraged me to not break it off just because he had had this problem. And I remember him saying to me, you know, good luck finding a guy who's never struggled with Mm -hmm. pornography but the question is whether they can be honest about it. And wow. because he has confessed and he's willing to deal with it, you didn't just catch him. That's a really good sign. Mm. And so he went to a Christian counselor one time, got a book and read it. And I thought, wow, yeah, he's willing. Like, Plus, because we were abstinent, I thought, well, once we're married, this won't be a problem anymore because yeah. then we can have sex. Right. So we got married. Mm. So you're now you're you're each married. Two separate people. Two separate people. At different, different times. People. You don't know each other whatsoever. Oh no. no. But you're both somehow intertwined in this idea of sexual addiction, sexual sin, and both with the philosophy of, well, when we get married, it's gonna take care of itself. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And I, which is it, what all young people believe. Absolutely. And and Michael, I want to speak too to the fact that you know what you were what you were experiencing that crisis when you came to know Christ of, wait a minute, I should, I shouldn't struggle with this anymore. I'm supposed to be free from this. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so prevalent, you know, and when, when people yeah. come to know the Lord, they they yeah. have the same idea and then right. there's so much shame right. that slips in and condemnation when they yeah. recognize, wait, the punishment for sin is gone. The presence of sin is still in my life. There's still some habits that now I need to find freedom from. Right. It's like this, right, this right. idea that, you know, God freed the Israelite people from Egypt, but Egypt was still in them. Right, right. They mm-hmm. still yeah. kept longing to go back to Egypt because there mm-hmm. was this stronghold or this tie. Exactly. And I'm glad you acknowledged that because I feel like that, you know, oftentimes in Christian circles, we just kind of think, poof, it's going to be gone. Right. We have magical right. thinking. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, and we there, do. And there was a spiritual hive, like I said, for a few months. Right. You know, whatever it lasted... Um, but, uh, that spiritual high doesn't last forever. Yeah. And the, um, yeah, the initial excitement of, of knowing the Lord. Um, but that, uh, yeah, that is very true. Wow. And we, th- we think that our, our sin should go away and yeah. we're just, uh, when we become a Christian, we're not going to sin anymore. We're, right. We're, right. We're done. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Never mind this whole <laughs> idea of sanctification and, and it's, and of course, you know, someone who's first coming to know the Lord and they're not familiar with. Christian vernacular, they're not, they maybe didn't grow up in church. I don't blame them for thinking that. That's, that is a very natural, normal thing mm-hmm. to think, but I want to make right. sure people understand, hey, this thing is going to be a journey. And yeah. I'm sure we're going to uncover that a little bit more as we talk about the ministry that you guys do. But mm-hmm. we're in this stage in, the, in your story where you've mm-hmm. each found someone, you're in this philosophy. Yeah. I'm going to get married. So what happened mm-hmm. with you, Michael? Yeah. So, when I got married, um, there's a couple of things that that I I didn't realize when I was looking at porn all of those years that I was pro- I was programming myself. Uh, the first is I had this idea that my wife, like the women in porn, would be ready and willing to have sex mm. at any time, <laughs> because that's the way porn works. Right. You just pull up your computer, or your smartphone, or whatever it is, right. anywhere and anywhere and mm. at any time, uh, it's it is there for you. And the other, the picture of sex that I planted in my brain was not that of one person in a committed married mm. relationship, but it was random sex with people that I didn't even know. Yeah. So this, uh, just looking at this over and over and over again, you know, I thought, well, this is not really going to harm me, but, I, and, and I didn't realize mm. this. So I was in a fair waiting to happen mm. and I eventually did cheat on her. And when, uh, when we first got married, she told me, look, if you ever cheat on me, I will divorce you. I will not be able to deal with that. Mm. Um, and, and so at this point we had a baby girl mm. and I was terrified. So back to the same pattern of not telling anyone about it. Yeah. I kept it a secret. I hid it. I didn't tell, you know, at, at that, at that time, my wife at the time or my pastor or whatever, I did not seek help. And then, um, one day, just a couple of years later, uh, late at night, I was looking at porn on the computer and uh, she came in, uh, my, my wife at the time, and uh, she, she caught me. Mm. She saw what I was looking at. And so the secret was out in the open. Yeah. Uh, before this, she did not, she did not know um, how, how uh, addicted that I really was. Mm. I don't know that I knew how addicted I really was at the time. Yeah. So 
it, it really is amazing just how secretive this can be. You know, after uh, being married for multiple years, she really had no idea that uh, this was going on uh, mm. with, with the porn and, and, um, and cheating on her. So I confessed uh, about cheating on her, and she did exactly what she promised. She left. She took my daughter, who mm. was about to turn three at the time, and she moved out. Uh, we got divorced. And um, it, so it was a very painful experience. Mm. I remember walking into my daughter's bedroom and everything was gone. It was just walls and carpet. And um, yeah, that, that really uh, hurt the most. I started falling into a depression and started um, uh, hating myself. And with uh, this house to myself, my daughter every other weekend, no one looking over my shoulder, I started medicating the depression mm. with porn, started back into the same routine and over and over and over again. So this went on for several years and I, I, um, I, I, I just continued to um, be confused like, God, why do I keep going back to this over and over? I started making promises to God. Uh, I'm never going to do this again. I promise this is the last time. And I drew a line in the sand and never again. Um, but then I, this thought popped into my head. Why don't you just look one more time? Mm. Just look one more time. You've looked hundreds of maybe thousands of times mm. already. Uh, what's one more time? It's not going to hurt anything. God's mm. going to forgive you. So I went ahead and I did. I gave in to that, to that voice, to that thought. And it, it's interesting, immediately after or you know, very soon after, um, I, I went through that process. Uh, I, st the thoughts were, what kind of a Christian are you? Yeah. Uh, are mm. you really even a Christian? This is, um, not what Christians do. You know, this wow. is terrible. Uh, so it was just self-defeating and, and then, um, maybe I'd be able to go a week, two weeks, something like that. And then the thought came again, just look one more time. Yeah. It's not going to hurt anyone. Just, just one more time. And I gave in again. But I promised. And it was this, um, uh, there's a book called Surfing for God, I, I, which I really love. Uh, Michael Cusick says, uh, he calls it the wash, rinse, and repeat yeah. cycle. Right. You know, uh, I say, okay, God, please forgive me. I'm not going to do this again. Um, I'm confessing my sins and uh, the blood of Christ is, has washed over me and, and I'm done. But then I go back and repeat it yeah. again. And yeah. now I need to be washed again. So right. it was just over and over this cycle continued over and over. So I told God, okay, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm going to surrender. I surrender, God. I'll do whatever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to read, I'll read. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Except I'm not going to tell anyone about this. Mm. I'm not going to tell anyone. I'm taking um, all of this to my grave and uh, nobody's going to find out. No one's going to know. So really it was surrender on my terms, not right. on God's terms, Right. you know. Uh, so that, um, you know, that, that didn't work obviously. Mm. So about, um, uh, th this was about four years after the divorce that I uh, continued to behave this way again and again and again. And I got to a place where I really started questioning my faith, questioning if I was a believer, questioning really if God even existed at all. So 
I was um, invited. I was leading a Bible study at the time. I was playing drums in, in the praise and worship mm-hmm. band, um, working in the, in the IT computer industry. And uh, everything looked really great on the outside. But on the inside, I was a complete mess. Mm. So uh, I was leading a Bible study and uh, some of the folks there in, in the group invited me to this weekend experience with God, this men's retreat. Um, they said, it really isn't a retreat, though. You're, you're going to experience God in some really incredible ways. And I thought, okay, maybe this is, maybe this is the, the thing mm-hmm. that I need. Maybe this is going to take this, this uh, addiction or whatever it is away. So I went to this weekend. Mm. Back to my story. Here's yep. Kristen in this marriage. That... I had just gotten married mm-hmm. and I thought my life was great. Mm. Uh, it wasn't until a year into the marriage that I realized he was looking at pornography again. Mm. But at that point, and at that point I knew like, okay, this is still happening and we're married. So you really need to get like into counseling, like yeah. more consistently. I realized there's some underlying reasons why this is going on. And I don't know what they are because clearly it's not for lack of having sex. Right. And so, and that's a common myth. A lot of Christians think like, well, if a, if a man's using porn, his wife must not be satisfying him. Right. And that is a myth. Right. Um, so he got into counseling. I'm thinking we're doing great. So another year later, I was thrilled when I discovered that I was pregnant with our first child mm. and filled with all this joy, hope, and anticipation. But when I was 16 weeks pregnant, my entire world fell apart when I found out that he was cheating on me with a student in our ministry Wow! and that he had been involved in pornography all along and multiple other sexual behaviors. Wow. It was devastating. I was shocked and I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. It made me completely out of my mind with grief. So I'm pregnant. I, I I just was supposed to be in this joyful celebratory time, but it became a total nightmare. Yeah. At that point, I knew this is really serious. That's the first time anybody used the term sexual addiction Mm. or that I'd really ever heard that term and realize this needs treatment, this needs serious help. Mm. But at that time, there wasn't a lot available right. in this specific area. Right. We did get some good counseling. We had a temporary separation. I was hopeful again when our son was born. We named him Josiah, which means the Lord heals. And I really mm. believed that was going to be what God did in my marriage, Yeah, that he would heal us. But when Josiah was six months old, I found evidence that my husband at the time was still using pornography. And at that point I knew this is a progressive thing. Pornography is the gateway, Mm. but it leads into sexual acting out with other people. And this is dangerous Mm. for me, Uh, not just emotionally and spiritually, but physically life threatening. And so I set a line in the sand and said with, with a therapist there and said like, I need you to move out until you have some time where you're free from this. Like, I want you to get help. I want the marriage still. Um, But after a few months, it became clear that he was still acting out. And even though he was making efforts to do counseling, at the same time, I eventually discovered that he had acted out with someone else again. Mm. And he confessed multiple other sexual behaviors to me. And that was that was the final nail in the coffin. So my marriage became a casualty to sexual addiction. And here I am, I'm still in full-time ministry, you know, working for this campus ministry and I have a child Wow. and he's 10 months old and I'm signing divorce papers 
And then the ministry I work for tells me that because I'm getting divorced, even oh though it was gosh. for infidelity, that I would no longer have a job. Oh my so gosh. I become jobless. Thank God I had some incredible men in leadership that knew me really well, yeah. that were just, just right over me in, in the organization that stood up and fought for me. Um, so I had like pro, a probation with my job. I was able to uh, take a sabbatical and then they would redetermine how I was doing at the end of the sabbatical uh, to see whether or not I would be allowed to continue. Oh. Shortly after my divorce, uh, I moved back here to Indiana to be near my family. And then my dad was discovered dead um, in his apartment. He had drank himself to death. So oh, it was within man. a few weeks period of time that all these losses happened. <sighs> so um, I remember sitting in a counselor's office on my son's first birthday, just unable to function. Yeah. I did have a child, so that got me out of bed every day. Right. And I just, with God, it was like one little block at a time trying to rebuild my life, mm. trying to get out of bed and take care of this sweet baby who needed me. Right. right. Um, I am really thankful that this counselor led a group for women who'd been through sexual betrayal. Mm. And I made connections with some of those women. I also started attending an Al-Anon group, which is for friends and families of alcoholics. Since my father had been a very high functioning during my growing up years, but an alcoholic nevertheless. And I hadn't realized how much that had laid a foundation for the way I saw the world, the way I saw God. Um, so God and I entered into this process of rebuilding my life. Wow. Man, one, one of the things that I... I've realized as we talk to people who have stories of pain is that for whatever reason, it seems like loss comes in multiples. Yeah. That there's, you know, it's like boom, boom, boom. Right. Like storm, storm, storm. And it's, it just, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know. I'm not sure I have reason for that. Mm -mm. I don't think there's any reason that we could give for that, but it seems to be prevalent and then it, it ends up stacking these layers of loss on your on your heart and on your soul. Mm -hmm. um, but what a providential thing that this, you know, this counselor that you were seeing led a support group specifically tied to what you were dealing with. Yeah. And that God just reached in right there and, and gave you a path for healing yeah. in that. Man. Whew. Okay, so you're a single mom. You're trying to walk through all of this. You've just lost your dad. And you're looking for some kind of answers. Meanwhile, mm -hmm. Michael goes to this retreat or yes. this spiritual encounter experience this right. weekend. Yeah. And God did show up. Um, mm. I can't really explain uh, all that happened, but uh, it was phenomenal. It, um, it, it's, it was a weekend that's really designed to um, experience the love of God. Uh, mm -hmm. through other people and so on. And um, uh, I had never experienced anything like that before in my life. And I know now, you know, um, when, when, when it comes to trusting God and really receiving, opening up our hearts and our souls to, to God's love, so many times we need to experience it from mm -hmm. other people first. Wow. In order to open that up, to crank so the door true. open. So that's that's the way that, that, that it worked. And, and uh, at this weekend, there was a pastor, an ex-pastor, who um, uh, spoke, and he had he told his story, a little bit of his story of how um, his pornography addiction cost him his marriage and his job. Mm -hmm. 
And that was really one of the first times that uh, I heard someone be that vulnerable wow. about not 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 their sin from 20 years ago or 30 years ago, but their sin from a couple of months ago, mm. you know, and, and being real and honest and open. So I got a chance to talk to that ex-pastor and... Um, uh, I, I came to a place where, um, you know, talking about it, starting to being, starting to be vulnerable, mm-hmm. um, confessing, you know, some of the things that I had done to him um, was healing mm-hmm. beyond belief. So I came to a place where I could fully surrender to God. Mm-hmm. And what that really looks like is I'll, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll read whatever you want me to read, God. I will talk to whoever you want mm-hmm. me to talk to. Wow. And that that piece of it was very scary, terrifying. But it just started with this one ex-pastor. And then I started seeing a Christian counselor who specialized in men's sexuality. Mm. And we started diving in. And um, some of the first things that he taught me was... Um, uh, well, it's like Matthew fifteen nineteen, where Jesus said, it's out of the heart come evil thoughts like sexual immorality, mm. adultery, and so on and so forth. So we need to look at the sin as r- really a symptom of a deeper right. heart problem. Right. What's going on inside of you that's causing you to behave this way again mm. and again and again? So for the first time in my life, we really started digging in to exactly that. But what caused me to behave this way? Um, and just, it, it was like peeling layers of an onion right. back. One of the first things we discovered was um, I looked great on the outside, but I was extremely insecure mm-hmm. on the inside, terrified of what other people thought of me. Uh, I remember having conversations with someone and I would say something I thought was stupid and I would be beating myself up for the next mm-hmm. three days about it, you know, rearranging the conversation in my head and and I couldn't sleep at night. Uh, and I'm sure the other person was like, they, 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 they have no idea, yeah. no idea what, what, mm. what, uh, that I was doing this. So, um, yeah, that, the, the insecurity, um, I was just walking around with all the, all this anxiety. Mm. Um, I was, uh, suffering from, from some mild depression that needed to be treated as well. And, uh, we just continued to dig and, um, uh, I, I found myself not not trying to stop anymore because trying to stop hmm. this behavior doesn't work. Focusing on it's like, um, Davy, th- don't think about a pink elephant. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. What are you thinking about? Right, exactly. Pink elephant. You're, of course, you're thinking of a pink. Elephant. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. Focusing on the pr- on on the behavior mm-hmm. uh, doesn't work. It doesn't help. And uh, trying to stop just causes more shame because yeah. we just feel bad about ourselves uh, because we can't. So, you know, men, men like, like where I was at. Right. So um, I, I continued to work with this counselor. I asked uh, the, the ex-pastor to mentor me and uh, these two men really became, uh, and, and with Jesus as well, mm. the, the three of them and myself, it was like open heart surgery. Mm. I was the patient on the table and uh, these three guys were, were um, the surgeons. And we just did dug and dug, and uh, so I was experiencing freedom. Um, it, it wasn't. It wasn't like, um, oh man, I, I reached my 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 two weeks. I, I got I got three weeks now, you know, right. uh, which I used to celebrate. But it was like a month and two months and a year and mm. two years and three years and four years, and it just stopped. 
and it was it was incredible. Wow. Um, now th- th- this this does happen to, to some people where it just stops. Um, but uh, I, I work with a lot of men, and sometimes it it kind of trickles off as they yeah. do this kind of work as well. So I started um, like this ex pastor. I started mentoring guys, mm. and it was um, so rewarding way more rewarding than um, at the time where my IT career was going and so on. Yeah. Um, this this really became my passion to get out of work and mentor these guys and help. Uh, so I, I really started loving, I fell in love with the process of helping men um, achieve freedom, teaching mm-hmm. them uh, the stuff that I learned and, and, and the, the real path to freedom that God showed me. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I uh, I continued to to do that, and along that time, I was um, Kristen and I started dating. Hmm. We we met, and we started dating, and um, when um, yeah, we, we it, it was just a, it was amazing that that God um, brought this person into my life who she was basically doing the same thing yeah. as far as she was mentoring women who had right. suffered the betrayal. So I'm like. Wow, you know this is this is really amazing. God is stirring something up here, and so God gave me a second chance, mm-hmm. and we got married. Um, my daughter was uh, nine, and uh, Josiah, uh, my stepson, was five and a half. Five. He was five and a half. He was five and a half. Mm-hmm. Wow, man. I have no idea how old. He was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we've been know. married eight and a half years. Wow. I always have to ask my wife what the real numbers are. (laughs) What's our anniversary again? How long have we been married? (laughs) 18 years, really? No, eight. Okay. So so we got married and blended a family, which is uh, all by itself a really hard thing to do. (laughs) Yes, it is. That's that's another podcast. There we go. We can uh, can do a whole other conversation about that one. And then, um, yeah, then God uh, blessed us with a baby girl as well. So we have uh, mine, hers, and ours. Wow. And and then, yeah, we we, um, knew that God was uh, moving us into full-time ministry and doing this. Uh, We both just had a passion Mm. for making a difference um, when it comes to this this problem that's just eating the church alive from the inside out. Yeah. And uh, you, hear, you hear statistics, uh, 68% of Christian men have a uh, struggle with pornography, mm-hmm. uh, which I think the Barna Group um, probably did that study. Mm. But really the truth is only God really knows, you yeah. know, who, right. who knows right. when, when you look around in, um, uh, in, in the church today, we mm. really have no idea. 68% is probably conservative. Yeah. Well, I mean, to kind of the point you were making earlier, you made it a... I mean, it was a it was a commitment. You were not going to tell anybody about this, right? And there's probably so many men in the church who, and women and women, yeah. right? It's not right. just men. I no, mean, the fastest is, growing group of people becoming addicted to pornography is women. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so I want you to speak, Michael. Maybe both of you guys can kind of speak to this because I'm I'm hearing in your stories this tension between how important is confession in the process of healing in this. And to what extent does confession heal you? Because you started finding some healing as you began to confess. It right. started with that one ex-pastor. Yeah. And you just were able to, and you said there was a little, there was a spark of healing there. Yeah. However, with your former husband. However, before that, 
he did the classic accountability groups where right. men just sit around confessing to each other right. and the blind leading yeah, the blind. So exactly. confession by itself is not the magic bullet. Yes. This is what I want to mm -hmm. get into. Mm -hmm. So yeah. kind of talk to me about the tension between those things because you also experienced the confession, confession. from a yeah. husband. And you know, the Bible says in James, confess your sins to one another so you'll be healed. Exactly. But where have you guys found as you're working with people and in your own stories mm -hmm. that, that that confession doesn't quite get there? It's important, but it doesn't quite. It's just one work. step. Mm. And sexuality is so complex. It's, it's not just your body. It's your soul. It's your heart. It's yeah. your brain. It's your, your mind, the broader concept of your mind, and it's your will. It's everything. Yeah. It, it's interwoven. God created it to the core of who we are. Yep. So anytime we take a one-sided approach, like just pray more, just be more disciplined, mm. just any just do blank is yeah. not going to work. It's complex. You have to, like Michael mentioned, he had to address his depression. Mm. There are people who are trying to medicate undiagnosed ADHD with pornography. If they would wow. get, de deal with their mental health yep. issues and struggles, that's one piece of the puzzle to rebuild your, your integrity, your sexual mm. integrity. So confession without any kind of wisdom from the person you're confessing to, to lead you out doesn't yeah. work, wow. number one. Number two, confession, even if a person confesses to somebody who is trained or experienced or knows the way out, if the person doing the confessing is just confessing to alleviate their guilt, mm. but they're not truly wanting to change, right. or they truly do want to change, but maybe they have some really complex, like my first husband had complex PTSD mm. and dissociative identity disorder. Wow. And so there was just, there were multiple reasons due to childhood abuse, intense childhood abuse, where it just complicated the whole situation. And I really did over-spiritualize what I believed the solution to be. But yeah. this issue runs very deep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that you're speaking to that, to that when it comes to the whole mm -hmm. person and these ideas of there's no simple answer. There's no, uh, hey, just do this because, you know, sexuality is something that was given to us, sex specifically given to us by God within the confines of um, one lifetime committed marriage. Mm -hmm. And it's such a beautiful thing when it's done within those bounds. But outside of it, it does cause a lot of destruction. And inside of it, it goes, it is the, the closest thing that we have here on earth to the um, to satisfaction, fulfillment, and joy that we are able to that we will experience in heaven. It's like this this bond, this this union between man and woman that um, is the perfect picture of God's love for us. Right. He's given us this, yeah, and and so it it goes deep, 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 mm -hmm. like you've said. And so there's serious strongholds in inside of those who are who are dealing with sexual addiction. Right. How, how do you guys help people navigate those strongholds? Um, you know, you just said you've got to confess to somebody who knows the way through that, not mm -hmm. just somebody, not just get the guilt off of your, off of your back. Right. And, and I was just telling you... Christy that it's, it's interesting. Lots of therapists don't even know how to help somebody with this. And so somebody right. may have this problem and think, I'll go talk to a counselor, a licensed counselor. Yeah. But they don't teach 
sexual addiction no, in yeah. school to become a counselor, nor do they teach it in seminary. So a, yeah. a lot of people will say, I'm going to go talk to my pastor thinking this is a spiritual issue. Well, yeah. yes, it's a spiritual issue, but it's also and, physical, yeah. emotional. It's every level of who you are. And pastors are not trained and equipped either yeah. to address this. So I, I say it's like, if you got a cancer diagnosis, you would probably go to an oncologist. Mm -hmm. So when you have some kind of a sexual struggle, you need to go to somebody who has specific training, mm. whether it's a counselor, a coach, or we do one-on-one -on -one professional mentoring with people. Right that knows the complexity. It's, it's multiple levels of healing that have to happen. Mm, wow. Wow. Yeah. The, the confession is really uh, the beginning. Well, it can be extremely healing and, and, but part, really part of it, um, part of the journey for a man is to be fully known by other men, Yeah, to have the kind of relationship that we were wired for by God, mm. um, that, that deep and, and personal uh, relationship with, with guys, healthy mm. relationship. And that's healing, but it, it's still, it's still a process mm. of, uh, digging in, digging into, to the past. Uh, I had to start digging in why, why, how did I get to be this insecure person? You know, what were all the steps that led up to that? Yeah. So it was basically unraveling my, my whole life, you know? Right. And really, um, I, I like to, you know, if I could summarize it in just saying, um, where Jesus said the greatest commandment mm. is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You know, he said the law and the prophets, everything hangs on these two commandments. Yeah. Um, and the second is just as important as the first. So loving others, when, when we don't love each other well, uh, literally all hell breaks loose, yeah. right? Uh, what, what, what does that, what does that do uh, when we don't love each other? Well, yeah, I mean, this, this is where, uh, insecurity and things like this come from, um, self-doubt, um, uh, bullies growing up in school and so on, you know, all we, we had to unravel all the things that, that, uh, brought me to this place to where mm -hmm. I was at that, that made me who I was. Wow. And redefine who I was, start to um, basically restructure and, and understand, you know, who is this guy that God created? Mm -hmm. what, um, what, what, is, what was his purpose when he made me? Mm -hmm. And so there's, there are so many different pieces to it for, and I'm talking about for long-term um, real freedom, mm -hmm. real healing. This is what it takes. And it is a process. Guys ask me, you know, can I, it, it, can I just read this book and it's going to be done? Mm. Is there a 12 week program? And yeah, then it's over. Right. right? And uh, that's not the way that it works either. Mm. But uh, it is a process. And really, I like to tell guys when they ask me, how long is this going to take? <laughs> uh, I say, well, you know, it, it, it really depends on how long you have been behaving this way mm. and how deep um, you have taken this behavior. So for me, uh, I started when I was 11 and um, God showed me freedom. I, I surrendered at age 38. So 27 years wow. cheating on my ex-wife, pornography and so on, all the stuff that I did in California. Uh, it was a pretty serious problem. Mm. So I needed to see that counselor every single week for, um, uh, it was at least 12 months. Wow. 12 months. Uh, and then we switched to every other week, uh, only, only with him agreeing to that, that, that mm. I was ready to do that. And uh, coming to a men's group, uh, a men's group that's closed, only open to men who struggle or have struggled yeah. with, with um, inappropriate sexual behavior. 
attending a group like this and a support group where you can really um, get around other men and you don't have to wonder like, yeah. like, do they struggle? Are they like me? Uh, no, th- this is, um, uh, everyone in the room struggles. And mm. I, I have guys that, that come and they say, well, I'm afraid that I'm going to run into somebody that I know. And it's mm. like, yeah, when they come to the group, if you run, see, if you run into somebody that, you know, it's awkward for 10 seconds until you realize <laughs> he's here for the same reason. Yeah. I am, right. You know? right. So, uh, it, it is scary to, to go to a group like that. Uh, it was for me at first, but um, it really is uh, healing to be around guys that can be vulnerable mm. and open and not have to uh, worry about, um, you know, w- w- what other people think. Mm. When, when we can really start to live out the uh, who God created, uh, that that's where it, it real the, the the healing journey really. For me, it got even more exciting. Yeah, and I kind of fell in love with the process, mm. and it really—I I like to, you know, go back into the scriptures and say this is just what sanctification is all about, right? right. I mean, right. this is the journey that I think we're all on. Yeah. Whatever struggle, whatever challenge and problem that we have, you know, that God wants to bring healing to, mm. and He's always going to use other people. Yeah, it's just all—it's just the way. It Can works. you speak to that a little bit more? Because that is a fascinating concept that is so true, but it's not necessarily where we would initially look to find healing. You know, initially I would think it's like, well, God's going to heal me, you know? Right. And yet, um, the more we do this journey, the more I experience healing in my own life, Christy, same thing. And as we've, you know, gone through some counseling and training and stuff, yeah, this is the thing we keep coming back to that God will use other people to heal you. And it was, oftentimes other people that cause yes. the wound. Exactly. And that's part of why we need other people to bring healing mm. because... Mm-hmm. Wounds are uh, happen in relationship and healing also happens yeah. the same way in relationship. Wow. And um, yeah, it, it's... Uh, it's kind of like this. If you're, if you're um, walking down the beach and you step on a piece of glass, how do you know that you stepped on a piece of glass? <laughs> Because you, there's pain. It hurts. Yeah, it hurts. <laughs> Ow. If it didn't hurt, uh, then you wouldn't know, and yeah. you would uh, your your foot would be infected, and so on. Uh, the pain is there to draw you to the problem. Yeah. What is the problem? What's going on? So that you can get healing. Well, you know, God created the human heart the same way, and it's back to the greatest commandment. When we don't love each other well. Uh, I mean, he didn't say this is the greatest suggestion or this is the greatest, mm-hmm. you know, I think this might be a good idea for you to try. <laughs> right. But he said, this is a, it's a commandment. So yeah. in other words, if I don't love you well, I'm sinning, right? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's actually sin. So when we sin against each other, uh, it's supposed to cause pain. So mm-hmm. it draws attention to the heart. And where do I need healing? We either need to reconcile with that person or we have to get healing from someone else and that they're a part of it. God usually doesn't sneak in in the middle of the night and just zap all of your problems away in your yeah. dreams, you know. Yeah. Um, but the, the healing happens in relationship with others because of that greatest commandment. Mm. We need to go back to that and we need to learn how to love each other well. It really, it really is what this life is all about, is wow. learning how to love God and love others. It's this is a sandbox for us to play in yep. until we get to heaven. Yeah, wow. What I mean, it's so so. What what I've found, kind of from a pastoral standpoint, is that you'll 
be in a community of people, a small group or something like that. And someone says something, does something and it touches a wound on you. And so what happens in a lot, a lot of times is that person who feels wounded by whatever that person said or, or did, they'll leave that group rather than leaning, rather than doing the thing that might actually provide healing might actually be that God orchestrated that group to be the healing agent for them. They, they leave it and they don't lean into what right. could bring healing. And, and, and what you guys are saying is you, you got to lean into that. Yeah. Those mm-hmm. interactions and relationships with other people in order to find healing. Yeah. Wow. The, the pain is there so that we can reconcile. That's so good. And, and it doesn't go away by itself either. It's mm. just like the, the glass in your foot. Yeah. It doesn't heal by itself. Yeah. It's a gaping wound. And if you don't do something about it, um, it, it becomes infected mm. and, and it stays with you. And you walk around with blood stains everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. Right. Metaphorically, so you right? Leave yeah. it, it leaves mm-hmm. carnage everywhere. Yeah. So um, that, that's where people turn to addictive behavior mm. um, and to medicate their pain. To medicate the pain. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's wow. that's where a lot of it starts. So it, it really is a complex issue. I like to tell guys we need to turn over every rock. We need to understand yeah. all the different pieces, all the different moving parts of, of uh, what causes you to behave this way. Mm. Uh, another aspect is the spiritual warfare. You know, mm. we have an enemy and um, he's been pursuing us as men with our um, with distorted views of sexuality ever since we're, we were born. Right. I think uh, Satan shows up at the ultrasound, you know, says, yeah. it's a boy, let's <laughs> send in the sexual demons, you know. Right. And, Really, um, it is a matter of um, tempting us all the way through our our uh, adolescence, especially in the, in those years yeah. and so on. So um, there there are many different moving parts yeah. that you need to address. Well, you were exposed to it at age eleven. You said right. right? Um, I remember that my first expo- exposure to pornography was on a computer. Similar situation that you uh, described, where I'm over at a friend's house, innocently hanging out and. What this friend brings us into a room where there's a computer shows us this. How old were you? Um, I was probably around the same age. I, probably a little bit younger. I may have been 10. I mm-hmm. think I was in elementary school. So I hadn't quite gotten into middle school yet. Yeah. But it just, it was like, what? And, and I was going to ask you guys that, you know, how much more complex is this now? It is. Because of yeah. the accessibility it is. that we have. Yeah. And when a child and... sees pornography, if it's if they're prepubescent, it actually is traumatic yeah. for them. Right. So we have a whole generation of kids getting exposed to pornography at ever right. younger ages. You put a device in their hand, <sighs> they can get exposed. Yeah. And that is a big part of our ministry is educating and equipping parents and how to prepare their kids yeah. to face the hypersexual culture that we live in. Wow. It's a it's a big problem. It's a wow. huge problem. And interestingly, only 7% of pastors say they have some kind of programming to deal with this problem in mm. their church. So it's a huge problem with mm-hmm. not a lot of resources and solutions out there for right. it. We've got to get ready as a church. That's it. Yep. Man, that's so true. Um, I'm curious as to, we've talked about a little bit about men dealing with this, mm-hmm. also women dealing with this. Mm-hmm. I know there's uh, f- surely some parallels with gender specific and how each heal through this process. Have you noticed some nuances between the two? Well, one thing that's interesting is my generation did not grow up with high-speed internet, and I don't know 
very many women my age, I'm in my mid forties mm -hmm. who struggle with pornography. However, in younger generations who grew up with it, their brains tend to get wired more like a male sexuality when they're exposed to the visual yeah. stimulation of pornography. So God, God, in God's creation, men's brains are more visually wired with, with regards to their sexuality and women's brains are more interconnected with the emotion and like the whole experience, right, not just right. visual. And so, but pornogra pornography hijacks the brain. It hijacks yeah. the female brain to be more visually wired. Yeah. So it depends on what age group you're talking about in terms of sexual struggle. Women mm. who did not grow up on high-speed internet may have a struggle with porn, but if they didn't get exposed as young and they haven't used as long, then their brain isn't as impacted. I okay. tend to see women with sexual integrity struggles um, that did not grow up on high-speed internet to have more of a sex and love addiction, which is, it's not just about the sex act. Mm -hmm. It's the whole intrigue and romance and all of that, right, right. but not always. I mean, women can be just straight up, have mm -hmm. a sexual addiction. Mm. Um, Kristen, when you, when you met Michael, you knew of his story, Right, or at least at some point. I found in out your... about a month into dating. Okay, so yeah. at some she point broke in a up month with into... me multiple times. I think <laughs> in her own mind before she. In my mind, before. I never actually broke up with him. Yeah, but in my mind, I did. <laughs> because it pro it hit very close to home. It was so scary. Exactly. I was terrified. And um, this being a victim of betrayal, sexual betrayal, mm. has such a ripple effect in your own life around you. Talk to me a little bit about your uh, decision to kind of to lean into this and stay into this. What went into that? To stay with Michael? To, yeah. to st keep dating him? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I had surrounded myself with wisdom, with women of mm -hmm. wisdom. I still had the same counselor that mm -hmm. I had started seeing four years before when I had gotten divorced or three and a half years before. Um I had a really wise, godly woman from my church that came and prayed with me every week. I had a mentor, a woman who had gone through sexual betrayal herself, had gotten a divorce, had remarried and blended a family. So she was ahead of me on the journey. And so, and, and then I had a sponsor through my Al-Anon program. And so I had these women of wisdom that I told everything yeah, about wow. him and about our relationship. And I just basically said, you guys, this seems like, like, crazy that mm. I would consider this, but here's what's going on. And all four of them, it was unanimous. Like, no, just, you know, stay watchful, mm. listen to the Lord. You're not crazy for staying mm. with this because of where he's at and his intensity of recovery. And then he had a release signed with his therapist to be able to talk to my therapist to give me reassurance. Like wow. this is not, because I thought, you know, he could be faking this right, right. to try to win me. And so I had that reassurance too. Mm. It, it took me like one day at a time, trusting God, not being tied to an outcome, yeah. but just enjoying the process and seeing where God was going to show up. And yeah. Well, you're, you're have learned a lot over the course of this about the ripple effects of yeah. sexual betrayal, um, not just for the immediate, you know, party that's involved, but also mm -hmm. to the people who are surrounding that person or those people um, speak into that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, sexual sin, especially scripture says, this is, you know, this is a, a, it's a graver sin in the sense that it's not just, it's affecting you and your entire, like down to the depths of your soul, but it's also mm. 
inflicting pain upon a lot of other people as well. It is. And I think that's the lie that we believe so many times where oh, this is just, this is just affecting mm-hmm. me. That's it. Right. Especially right. in pornography. This is just right. me. Nobody Even though else is porn affected. is tied to trafficking. Oh my gosh. It's I totally know. tied. It's, right. you know, people are being enslaved. Right. Exactly. The ones making the pornography. Yeah. So it is a lie. But yep. yeah, the, the radius of impact of this struggle is tremendous. Now, I have my own story, but then I also lead groups for women who've experienced sexual betrayal and I lead groups for daughters Mm. who've been impacted by their dad's sexual betrayal. Mm. And so what I see every day is the traumatic impact of sexual betrayal. A lot of women who've experienced this actually could be diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, It causes such trauma on every level. Mm. I mean, it impacts us physically uh, like I said, I couldn't sleep. Most women have tr- either trouble eating or they start overeating to just try to cope. Yeah. Um, I was shaking. Like my whole body was shaking for I don't even know how long. Um, it impacted, uh, for some women, it impacts their health to a, to the point where they end up getting some kind of an autoimmune disease, wow. especially because the shame of it. And who do you tell? Yeah. So yeah. some women really do internalize like this must be me because I'm not enough for him mm. and that's a lie. Wow. And so and and they think I'm not going to tell anybody or they go they go and they confide let's say in their pastor and mm. their pastor assumes they must not be performing their wifely duties. Mm. And then they they're caused more trauma and pain because they are but why is why am I not enough? And so it causes spiritual trauma for a yeah. lot of women who go to well-meaning spiritual people for help and get misinformed advice yeah. and misinformed uh, assumptions. Mhm. And so then they get further wounded and traumatized or they get further wounded and traumatized by a counselor who doesn't know how to handle Mm. this issue and who tells them they need, I have a woman who I mentored who said she had a counselor after her husband came out with an affair that said to her, you just need to offer yourself to your husband. Mm. This woman was like really like, had difficulty doing much beyond taking care of her, her baby and her, and basic physical needs. So it impacts the kids too. Even if children are really small, I remember Josiah saying to me when he was three, he said to me, mommy, when I was a baby, you were sad. Mm. And I was like, yeah, kids are very intuitive. My gosh. Wow. So it impacts the kids and older kids usually know something's going Mm. on and it's extremely traumatic to the kids because the foundation of their security and stability is their parents and their marriage. That's it. And so a lot of girls I know that I've worked with have stumbled upon their dad's pornography and that's Mm. traumatized them or they have realized dad's looking at porn or having an affair and they're stuck with that secret do I tell my mom and wreck her? Mm-hmm. Do I keep the secret to protect her? Right. What if I do tell? I mean, they're they're carrying this heavy load of shame and responsibility that should never have been theirs in the first place. Yeah. So this issue destroys families. Wow. Um, I mean, obviously for me, that radius of impact, it impacted my job mm-hmm. because I was in ministry. Yep. Um, I, I dare say there's not one area of life that is not impacted. What's really complicated about it is I'm still, let's say I have a secular job and I just found out that my husband's been sleeping with other women. Mm. I still have to show up to work. Yeah. If my husband had you know, cancer, I could call and be like, hey, my husband's sick. 
right? or my husband just passed and I need to take some time. But there's this privacy slash secrecy that yep. has to be guarded around this issue that complicates the grief and complicates the ability to process it honestly with the ways that it impacts yeah. your, your mm. world. Wow. I want to go ahead and be the one to tell people if you're struggling with this, you know someone who's struggling with this, you're in the depths of this. Um, I believe one of the best people that you can reach out to is Kristen and or Michael and the ministry that they're doing. Uh, your ministry is called Living Truth. I didn't want you to have to feel like you're selling that. I believe wholeheartedly you guys, if you're listening to this and you're in that, your first step is to do that. Mm-hmm. But can you guys, as we're, as we're closing, can you kind of give the listener, if they, if they are in a situation right now, what would you tell them? If you happen to have somebody come to you and say, hey, I'm struggling with this, you're sitting across mm-hmm. coffee with them, what's the first step you would tell them to take? What are the first things you would tell them mm-hmm. right now? This is what you need to do. Yeah. One of the first things that I, that I would uh, tell a guy, um, certainly asking a lot of questions and uh, listening and understanding his story and where he's at because uh, the advice might change depending on you know, where all that he's at and what's taken place in the past um, for, for guys that have not, you know, they, they're, they have secrets that they haven't told their wife yet. Yeah. Um, one of the things we recommend is to see a counselor and um, have that counselor help you mm. through the confession process. Right. Because, we can help people mm. find a counselor who specializes yes. well, in great. sexual addiction across the country. That's we have great. access to directories and whatnot. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And uh, I, I want to make this really clear. I am not saying you do not have to tell your wife. Yeah. The secret, and that's not it at all. But uh, there is a process that, that can help, um, mm. you know, that you could be guided, guided through. You're saying that may not be that, the first um, step going in cold on that. Have right. somebody else, a counselor specifically mm-hmm. that's trained as to... As soon as possible. Because it can be yeah. very traumatic. Yeah, as soon as possible. Certainly. And then uh, I would invite him to a men in the battle group. And mm. uh, these, these groups, um, three and a half years ago, I uh, here in the Indianapolis area, I started... Uh, a men's group, and um, God really had some incredible plans for it that I didn't envision. But uh, so this group has grown and multiplied uh, throughout Indiana and wow. out into um, Iowa. Wow! So we have uh, eleven sites now, and uh, you can yeah you can get uh, access to the different groups and an interactive map at living-truth.org/slash. M-I-B for men in the battle. Mm. Uh, so I would send him to one of the groups and um, in there, you know, he, he can get the, um, uh, not necessarily advice, but certainly just get around other guys who understand where he's at, yeah. who have been where he, uh, where he's at. And um, I, I, I can't tell you how uh, many guys have come to me and said, you know, in tears, thank you so much for mm. starting this. I've been able to be honest and vulnerable for the first time. Uh, I was in a group with a guy who had an affair and, and his marriage made it. And he's like two years into this healing process. And he's given me some hope that that could wow. possibly happen in my yeah. life as well. And so, so yeah, there, there's so much depth and so many things that happen in, in these groups. And so, uh, yeah, the counselor and um, the, uh, the, the group, uh, that's the, those are the two yeah. biggest keys that I'd recommend. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Guys, it's been awesome to have you on, and I am 
I'm honored to be able to have this conversation with you, but also just amazed at what God has done through your stories. And I mean, I feel like we didn't even spend a ton of time on just how, how incredible it is that God brought you two together. It's obviously very purposeful mm -hmm. that God brought you two together and that out of the brokenness of both of your pasts, there is a, a redemptive story to this whole thing. And, um, and, and God is using you now to minister to other people. And one of the things we say a lot is redemption begins in your story the moment you decide to take your pain and use it to help other people in their pain. Mm, yeah. And I feel like the fact that God brought you two together in, in a really whole um, integritous relationship now is like icing on the cake. Mm -hmm. You guys were yeah. already redeeming your stories by helping people, but then yeah. boom, icing on the mm -hmm. cake. God brought you together. Now you get to do this together. And it's powerful to do it together yeah. because we can help marriages together. Of the equation. Yeah. yeah. It's so amazing. So again, I want to encourage our listeners that if you're dealing with this, you know somebody who's dealing with it, reach out um, to Michael and Kristen, Kristen Carey at Living Truth. Where can they find you guys? Living-truth.org okay. or on Facebook. It's Living Truth 61. Awesome. We'll put all of that up on this particular episode's podcast page at nothingiswasted.com. But guys, thanks so much for joining me on this. Yeah, thanks, thanks for, for inviting us. us. Baby. Hey, before we talk a little bit about this interview with Kristen and Michael Carey, I want you to hear from one of our resident counselors, Julie Dodson, and her thoughts on this conversation. I heard Michael mention a couple of times about submission on his terms rather than God's. One of the most common human instincts is to want to be in control. I think this is something about which we must be aware and actively fight most of our lives. On the one hand, we're supposed to be responsible and accept personal control over ourselves, right? But when it comes to living as disciples of Jesus, we want to fully and genuinely surrender to the Lord, saying, not my will, Lord, but thine be done. This is just so contrary to how we seem to be wired. So it is a daily, perhaps multiple times daily of remembering, wait, I offered myself as a living sacrifice this morning. I often repeat John Calvin's quip that the problem with a living sacrifice is that it keeps crawling off the altar. So every time we realize we've picked something back up that we had previously laid on the altar, we have another opportunity to yield our will to the will of God and entrust the things we simply cannot control to the Lord. I think this is likely related to what seems to be a common trait among most of we humans, which is that we're pretty averse to change. We're far more likely to remain right where we are, no matter how disappointing, painful, or dysfunctional. It is simply easier. We can continue our present course on autopilot, but real change requires intentionality, effort, and consistent application of those new actions over a long enough period of time for them to have even the possibility of becoming more comfortable, habitual, and automatic themselves. Michael also noted that confession alone does not produce change. While confession is a necessary first step to recovery, that must be followed by genuine repentance. It is completely appropriate and reasonable to expect credible evidence in keeping with repentance from the person who harmed you before even considering genuine reconciliation. Repentance is preceded by confession, which can be defined as, I agree with God that what he calls sin 
I call sin. In other words, I was wrong. Then contrition. I hate how wrong I was. Then heartfelt apology. I'm so sorry. And a specific request for forgiveness. Will you please forgive me? Repentance means that the moment we recognize our sin, we turn and run as fast as our legs will carry us in the opposite direction. Genuine repentance should be very clear and apparent to everyone. And one final note is that genuine repentance might be described as godly sorrow as opposed to worldly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is still all about me, the cost to me of my sin, the loss of my reputation or respect or standing in the eyes of my peers and family. But godly sorrow is heartfelt sadness at adding stripes to Jesus' back. It is the raw, shocking realization of what my selfish choices have caused to God's name, honor, holiness, and righteousness. It is appropriate shame for my actions. Worldly sorrow still leads only to death and broken earthly relationships, but godly sorrow leads to life and healthy human relationships. Michael also noted that the person confessing must actually want to change. Counseling definitely requires certain ingredients in order to be most successful. Awareness is more than half the battle because without it, we're pretty unlikely to even consider change. Effective change also requires the right timing. It certainly seems far more common for us to put off action for some period of time before investing in what is really necessary to affect persuasive change. The reality is that what is familiar to us tends to be more comfortable no matter how dysfunctional or abusive. I noticed many years ago that many of my clients, especially my couple clients, waited far too long to seek counseling, but then hoped for a miracle to heal their marriage in four to eight sessions. So I began asking my clients if it seemed reasonable to allow for at least one month of weekly counseling sessions to correct every year of dysfunction in their marriage. I haven't had a client balk at that suggestion yet. It just helps align a more reasonable expectation of the amount of time, persistence, and work that is required to produce the changes toward which we're working. Friends, it is very possible for couples to completely heal from infidelity. When I have both clients in my office, I would emphasize that since trust is imperative for any healthy marriage, that has to be rebuilt. Initially, 100% of the responsibility for rebuilding broken trust falls squarely on the shoulders of the person who chose to be unfaithful. It is simply impossible for another person to believe or trust their partner until that partner has done everything in his power to prove that he is now a man of his word, of the highest honesty and integrity. At the same time, the other spouse has to be willing to give their partner the opportunity to prove his trustworthiness. I often describe this as while your husband owns complete responsibility for a meaningful period of time in the beginning, you also have responsibility for being open to trusting again. And if we get a ways down the road and your partner has done everything in his power to illustrate his love, devotion, commitment, and faithfulness, but you're still unwilling to grow in your trust of him, then at that point, we may need to consider that the issue between the two of you has become more your responsibility than his. But as long as both of you are sincerely willing to commit to genuine reconciliation, please know that it is possible. So good, Julie. As always, mm-hmm. we uh, we just appreciate your thoughts oh, and we've you, loved Julie. having you. 
Man, it's that was awesome. So good. Yes. Yeah. So good. Uh, next week, next week, Mel, we have an interview with someone we have already interviewed on the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. We brought him back on. We've had some pretty heavy episodes over the past several, uh, really months with these two series that we've done. So we're going to, I want to say we're going to lighten things up a little bit, but we kind of are and we kind of aren't. We're going to talk about the Enneagram (laughs) with Chris Hewart's. And this is important because I believe that one of the aspects of healing for us is coming into a better understanding of ourselves. Yes. Um, I, in fact, I, there's a, I have a fundamental belief that the way that we, the way that we know God better is by knowing ourselves as well and becoming more aware of kind of our propensities and proclivities and, and where there's some broken parts of us. And Chris, he takes this idea and he uses the Enneagram to overlay this for us. And man, it is an, it is a deep, deep dive into the Enneagram. This is not like your surface level. We're going to fly by the Enneagram. You know, this is, we're going in deep. And I promise get you, your there's notebooks, gonna, yes, get your pen. <laughs> you're going to want, you're going to want an, a, a pen and a notebook because, and you might want to pause it and rewind it and listen to it over and over because there were so many things, as much as I love the Enneagram, there were so many things that I had no idea. And I was like, wait, what did you just say? This is crazy. <laughs> Mind so, blown. I know. And so speaking of the Enneagram, thank you, Ryan O'Neill. Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. He has an Enneagram series that, listen, if you go and listen to Ryan O'Neill, sorry, we'll, call, we'll say Sleeping at Last because you're probably Googling Ryan, Ryan O'Neill and you're like, what is this? If you go listen to Sleeping at Last Enneagram podcast, Chris Hewitts is on each of those episodes where Ryan explains why he wrote the Enneagram songs the way he did. So, Oh, no way. You'll get your fill of Chris Hewitts if you go and listen to that podcast and listen to next week's. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. Well, here's a clip from our interview with Chris Hewitts. So I, I think when you look at the Enneagram of personality, and I think when you look at your type, um, you're, you're looking at sort of a container for this set of memories that essentially become the metaphors for for what is meaningful in your own story, the story you have to tell yourself Mm. so that you can figure out who you are and how you've gotten this far so that you can figure out your own sort of ongoing path of becoming. So I think what the Enneagram shows us is, yes, our souls are, they exist for a reason. We're, We're born purpose to bring a gift into the world. And when we lose contact with that gift, we begin suffering that loss of contact and the Enneagram's passions and fixations become the rails for the experience, the nine unique experiences of that suffering. Well, if that's already part of our our human condition, then I don't know that it matters what the subsequent sufferings or stressors or pains or losses in our lives will become because it's inevitable that we all will have a difficult journey towards the best of ourselves. Mm-hmm. But you see what what's happening from our early childhood holding environments to the places and the people we are today is we're practicing for what's difficult. We're practicing mm-hmm. for the pain. We're practicing for the loss. It's, it's always been um, either a coping addiction or it's been a, a way of facing this pain and, and acknowledging it. 